Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 62 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled The Church of Philadelphia, Catholic versus Orthodox. Our teacher is Alan Smith. As in the days of Noah, as we continue this uh, idea that the Scriptures give us on these days that we're living in now, how are we to act and perform? So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And as we look into this church of Philadelphia today, going into the church of Laodicea, we'll start seeing what this church of Philadelphia was looking for in this second coming of Christ. I kind of was reading some Charles Finney stuff this week and came across this little quote of his, Great sermons lead the people to praise the preacher. Good preaching leads the people to praise the Savior. <laughs> you know, that is so true, isn't it? That is just amazing uh, how true that is. And, and my goodness, uh, a preacher that could be bragging would be him. And, and uh, you can tell that perhaps he had to deal with that a little bit. Today we're going to ours. We're looking into the seven churches to pick up on our study from last week. I will pick up where we left off. I'll not review. So if you want to, if you feel like I'm starting in the middle of something today, it's because I am. Uh, you don't need to go back to last week's. Uh, today uh, is the Church of Philadelphia. As you can see, it gets larger there. And the last one will be the Church of Laodicea. But the Church of Philadelphia and we call it the time of the prophetic awakening, uh, 1700s until the end. This is what the, uh, the Church of Philadelphia is about. And this is when we had a lot of the great awakenings. We call it a prophetic awakening. In other words, the prophetic word of God uh, started coming back alive again, being restored to the church. Now, I spoke a little bit last week about mystery and about prophecy. When we're looking at the scriptures, uh, I view them as, as there's things in the scriptures as prophecy. When you see prophecy or the term prophecy, uh, this is information that is known. So in your mind, understand prophecy, the, uh, Satan and his angels and hopefully all of God's people understand the, uh, the prophecy. Prophecy is things that's written in the book that is known, known information. When you see the terminology mystery, or some translation says secret, these are things that are yet to be revealed. Now, they're hidden in Scripture in types and shadows, but they're not just when God says Israel inherit the earth and they'll rule and reign and they'll be in their homeland. All of these prophecies about Israel and the land, that's just a, a revelation uh, that is unknown. Mystery is something that is difficult or impossible to understand or explain, and it is hidden. And so when we look at the Scriptures, just keep in mind, uh, a lot of people say, well, the Bible's hard to understand. Well, that's parts of it are. It is. And it's hard to understand. But it can be understood, and it's not really that difficult. Uh, prophecy is something that has been told will happen, a prediction It's easily tends to be easily understood. Much of the prophetic movement is strong in prophecy, but weak in mystery. And um, I didn't get a lot of hoorays in that one when uh, some of my friends out in other circles, but I tend to make that statement from time to time, and they disagree with me. But nonetheless, it appears to me that they're strong in prophecy, the prophetic movement is, but when it comes to mystery, 
Uh, some of the mysteries, and of course they would tend, I'm not saying all mysteries, but some of them they tend to be uh, not their strong suit. Now in Ephesians 3, I spoke last week, and I'm not going to belabor it much, about the rapture of the church and the, uh, the, the Philippian church, what happened there. And uh, Paul refers to it here, For this cause I, Paul, prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to me to you, or to how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. So there you see, that's the secret, it's a mystery, and you have to, you have to, the only way you can understand it is by revelation. And uh, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read, ye may understand my knowledge and the mystery of Christ. So here we see that Paul has some knowledge about this mystery of Christ. And I've said it before, uh, the revelation of the cross is part of the mystery of, 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 of the gospel. And Paul was the one who emphasized it. Uh, the other uh, 11 apostles, 12 apostles, uh, they uh, did get the revelation of the blood of the cross of Christ, but it, was little, it wasn't in the Acts 2 period because they were preaching, if you'll repent of killing him, he's going to return. That's uh, Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4. He said, repent. And God's going to rescind, He's going to send him back in the times of restitution, which going into prophecy will be seen and fulfilled. After that, though, you got John, all of these other writings that they uh, fully understood the blood atonement of the cross. But the blood atonement of the cross had to have been hidden, or Satan wouldn't have entered Judas. So it, it had to have been kept a mystery or, or a secret for it to take place. He says, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So we see that the apostle Paul, he met with Peter and those guys. He said, I knew a man called up into the third heaven or whatever. And he came and he shared it with them in Jerusalem. Uh, Peter actually said, hey guys, some of these things Paul is saying is hard to understand, but he's got the signs of an apostle. And so therefore what he's saying is scripture. Signs of apostle would be raising the dead, healing the sick, and all and all of those type things. Uh, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. So here we see that the big part of the mystery is us Gentiles have now we're in other you gotta understand, in the Jewish synagogues, Gentiles had to sit at the back. And they were called proselytes. They weren't called spiritual Jews. They were called proselytes. And you could come in, sit at the back row, and you could be part of the fellowship, but you were uh, still a, called a proselyte, not a Jew. Paul comes on the scene and says, hey, there's no difference Jew and the Gentile. Bond or free. He says that the Gentiles are part of these same promises. And so all of a sudden, that's a huge shift for the twelve. A huge shift. Um, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by effectual working of his power. And here we see Paul is the one that starts speaking about the grace of God uh, regularly in his text, in his writings, in his preaching. Now understand, it is... It is it's all God's grace and mercy, so to speak. And God even fools with man. 
but you have what you got. You also have what we got, what we call the gospel of the kingdom that contains kingdom information. That's basically prophecy. Then you've got the gospel. Paul says, I've got, he said, I'm speaking about the gospel of the grace of God. Well, the gospel of the grace of God includes the gospel of the kingdom of God. But you've got to understand there's an emphasis. The gospel of the grace of God means you and I should not be in the gospel of the kingdom. But because of God's grace and mercy, he's now calling you fellow heirs. That was a secret. That was a mystery that God wasn't ready to reveal to Satan. He didn't want him to know that. So not only that, when Satan entered Judas, God kind of played a trick on him, didn't he? In other words, God didn't do that to Satan. Satan did it to himself. His ego and his pride. He was going to stop this thing. He was going to stop this king, which is prophecy. They were looking for Jesus to rule and reign in Jerusalem over the nation Israel and ultimately the world. That was the information of prophecy. The mystery is Paul starts unveiling these secrets and these mysteries. And he says it's because of the grace of God that we are now fellow heirs. That's, that means God did it because he wanted to. Can anybody hear that? God just did it because he wanted to. And that was his secret. Now, now that's what you always have to remember when it comes down to doing dealings with God. You can say, well, the Bible says he's going to do this, going to do that. Well, he is. But, you, but God's got this one thing he's not going to give up, and that's because he wants to. Because he wants to. Because he wants to. You say, well, that person's not worth saving. Well, I mean, God will save him to the uttermost. He'll save him because he won't, in spite of us. <laughs> because he wakes up one morning and he wants to. And I, and I never forget that even when I come to America, it's like, well, America's just too far gone. Well, yeah, but you got this he wants to thing. That's, that's, that's our deal. And, and so it's obvious that God can do what he wants to, when he wants to, ever how he wants to. And I'm so glad that he, he is, uh, I don't know, it's kind of like if you, I don't know if people don't do it much anymore. We used to play rook all the time. and Pretty much whoever had the rook, you know, uh, that just means the rook defies everything and just trumps everything. Well, God, God has his own rook card in life. He just, he just trumps it. And, uh, but that's why, and it's important to make this distinction between the gospel of the grace of God and the gospel of the kingdom of God. The gospel of the grace of God includes the gospel of the kingdom of God. But for a little, just for Bible study's sake, make a little bit of distinction between the two, because when I hear gospel of the grace of God, I know what Paul's talking about. This, and I'm, he said, I'm, I'm, matter of fact, Paul says, I'm one of the first ones in this gospel of the grace of God. And that's a pretty big statement. And what he means by that is he was out killing Christians. And what Paul said, he said, he, Paul called himself the chief of sinners. Now, that wasn't just a little phrase, he meant it. You know why he meant it? Because he was. So it's like God looked down on Jerusalem and said, all right, I got to pick out the worst one in which I might first show this grace that I'm about to bestow upon the earth. And he looked down on the earth and picked out the worst one, and it was Paul. And Paul knew that he was the worst one in Jerusalem. He said, I'm the chief of sinners. And that's the reason he said, in me first has this grace been bestowed. Isn't that amazing? 
That is just so. So we, so we got this but God moment, but God moment. We've got this this one character part of God that just does things because He wants to. And uh, but anyway, I don't want you to fully see what this means. Well, verse uh, seven, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God. You see that? Now, when he says the gift of the grace of God, when Paul says that, what he's mean? You've got to understand, I'm the chief of the sinners. I'm the worst one in Jerusalem, but God's given me grace, and so therefore now I'm a minister according to this gift of the grace of God, according to the gift of the grace that He gave Him. You see, uh, He given it to me by the effectual working of His power. Isn't that amazing? Unto me who am less than the least of all saints. Now they, there again, he's just not making a cute saying there. He knew it was true. Is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ? That is such a huge revelation in Ephesians 3. He goes on to say, to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hidden God, who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now unto the... Now watch this. I want you to see verse... You've got to understand something. The church... This verse 10 is about the church. Watch it. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Does anybody see that? The principalities and powers are out here. And God has empowered us to operate in these riches and this power of God so that the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. In other words, the, heaven, the principalities and powers should be shaking over Alexander County because of new life's here. That's what it means. We're supposed, supposed to be so proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of the grace of God. We should be so proclaiming it that principalities and powers is not giving us too much of a big deal in Alexander County because this church is making it known. We should make it known. And I don't know, that's... Uh, well, that's, that's another topic. Okay. That Christ might dwell... Let's see, verse 15. No, I was a hidden God who created all things. Where am I? 11. According to the eternal purpose, which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So He's talking about this. The eternal purpose was that we would all be included together. Now, for some reason... Pre-Abraham, Abraham being the first Hebrew Jew, Abram, changed his name to Abraham, first Hebrew Jew. For some reason, well, there's biblical reasons, but God decided one day that he was going to start speaking to the earth through a nation called the Jewish nation. God speaks to the Jewish nation. Jewish nation speaks to the earth what God's got on his mind. That's up to, but up to Abraham, pre-Abraham, this would be flood, this would be Noah and everybody, pre-Abraham. God just spoke directly to people. He spoke directly to Noah. Jesus had, had nothing happen. God just had a relationship with humanity. And he'd talk to whoever he wanted to talk to. 
when he felt like it. Then he got up to Abraham and he said, well, I'm going to speak to the Jewish nation. I'm going to, then I'm going to let them take what I'm saying to the earth. So when you get up into Acts chapter 1, you get into Jerusalem, you get Jesus comes on the scene, and you understand that Jesus was fulfilling what God said to that Jewish nation. He said, you made all these promises, y'all were going to say it, yada, yada, yada. And then Jesus comes on the scene, everything's fulfilled on what God said. And then God says, then Jesus dies on the cross, and then God says, ha, 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 I had a secret. <laughs> Y'all didn't know about that my son's blood was the atonement of all sin. In other words, here's what God's saying I had to come do for you what you could not do for yourself. Amen. Now we can say Jesus died, or you can say God died. God died for his own creation. And so when Paul comes on the scene and says, hey, hey, I got this secret. I got to, you got to understand God died for us. He fulfilled it. Paul, the words he gave him was the grace of God, unmerited favor. God just gave it because he got up one morning and wanted to. But now here's what you got to understand. Now he's saying that he's reverting back to pre-Abraham when he just talked to people. Isn't that amazing? Now, this is another whole teaching, though, another whole, it's called the priesthood of the believer. You're now your own priest. Nobody has to stand in for you. It's like it was pre-Israel. God talked to people. Now, it doesn't do away with Israel, and it doesn't do away with us, because time has progressed, and here we are. So he's saying, now listen, y'all, there's no Israel and Gentiles. He said, I'm making one new body called the body of Christ. There's many members, but one body. So he changes terminology from Israel terminology to one body terminology. And he says, I'm going to create a one new man. That's amazing. So all of that's mystery. All of that is secret information. And it's important that we make those distinctions. Uh, verse... Well, let me go back to 11. According to the eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Here we get information. He starts talking about this inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, that Christ might dwell in your hearts. How? Now that's important. Which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Which comes first? Faith or experience? We're looking for God to move to increase our faith. Backwards. You'll never see unless you exercise faith. As a believer, most miracles and those things actually are for non-believers. Even though God will throw us a bone every now and then. Okay. And he goes on to say this. 
Verse 18, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, length, depth, and height. There he's talking about the mysteries. That you could comprehend what it is. And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now here he talks about being filled with fullness. That's another topic, another teaching. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Have somebody see that? Ask or think, which means be careful what you think. According to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, a world without end. Amen. Unto him be glory. Where? In the church. In the church. To him be glory. In the church. Now, I'm going to show you how this uh, works with the Church of Philadelphia here. Now, we'll go back to this event that the Apostle Paul, we're talking about the rapture of the church for those who embrace that. Paul says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now the reason some people have a little problem with the rapture of the church is they can't make the distinction that the rapture of the church comes under mystery, not prophecy. You see. They can't, they can't make the... Once you start seeing, oh, God gave other revelations, He gives more information, and He gave some through the Apostle Paul, which is an under mystery, not under prophecy. And so you got the second coming of Christ, but then you got this mystery of the catching away of the believers. And a lot of people want to combine that catching away of the believers with the second coming of Christ, not understanding that's two different events. In one event, the rapture of the church, the good leave, the bad stay. Second coming of Christ, it's the opposite. The bad leave, the good stay. Totally opposite, different event. But most people don't make that distinction. When you leave with the second coming of Christ, you go into instantaneous judgment. Jesus is sitting on the throne. There's a hole, look at it, last of Isaiah, as a hole opens up outside of Jerusalem. And that hole opens up and you can look down in it and see hell. And you can hear the gnashing of teeth. You can see the worm that dieth. You can look over according to Isaiah. You can look over outside. It's called in that valley of Gehenna. And there's instantaneous judgment. And when that judgment comes from the throne of God, you'll go over there and be thrown in that hole. That's what it says. That's where we get hell from. That's where we get the idea. But it's an actual hole that's going to open up. People don't understand that. What happened to Ananias and Sapphira? Instant judgment. That's what happens in the millennial reign. They were getting ready to go into the millennial reign. Ananias and Sapphira was just following the principles of prophecy. You and I do not live under instantaneous judgment. Can somebody say amen? We're living in the day of the grace of God where our judgment has been paid for on the cross of Christ, not only has it been postponed, it has been eradicated. That's right. Obliterated. It's just amazing to me. And that's the reason it's important that we don't mix up the two because it's going to give you a wrong outcome. It's not going to give you the outcome you're thinking. All right, now let's go on. 
See what Paul he says is, I'm not going to belabor this too much. Now, this church of Philadelphia follows the great evangelical awakenings of the 18th and the 19th centuries, the time of reformed reformation of the reformed churches. Now, that's when we say the church of Philadelphia, and you got the prophetic awakening. What we have is, you know, the church went into the dark ages for a thousand years, and you had the Gutenberg Press. Then the, then the, y'all know the stories, I'm sure, that the Bible is then reproduced so the common person could get a copy of it. God started restoring, it looks like, the truths of His Word around 1400 to the common people. And people started discovering. I'm going to look at it just a little bit here so we can understand more of the Church of Philadelphia. Um, the Moravian uh, br uh, brethren in Germany began to meet in small groups for prayer, catching again a vision of God, what He could do, and eventually sent out missionaries uh, to other parts of the world. You remember that? That was who? That was Zinzendorf. So, so, Zin so you're talking. I think Zinzendorf's eight seventeen hundreds. I can't see it. Seventeen twenty-seven. There you go. Okay, so that's just, so we started getting this recovery. You got the print and press, then you got the Reformation, and you got I got Martin Luther, Reformation, the the Reformed. It's called the Protestants. We are Protestants, which means first part of Protestant is protest. We're the protest people. Uh, that's right. We're that's who we are. So we so we had the uh, Zinzendorf. He is part of this Philadelphia church. That's where you, we know the time period. Uh, then we had another one there, John Bunyan. Y'all remember him? It began in England as the movement which we call the Puritan movement. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, was one of these uh, Puritans. Then we had who? George Whitfield, which we've... Now you've got to see, all of a sudden you had these onslaughts, Protestant Church of Philadelphia coming on the scene, and then you had all of this generation of, of the truth going out and of the gospel. Uh, you got George Whitfield, and you got also Jonathan Edwards. Those were 17, early 1800s. This awakening also included George, uh, included George Whitfield's preaching in both England and America. In this country, it includes the movement called the Great Awakening, and Jonathan Edwards is one of its leaders. And the Methodist circuit riders who rode horseback up and down the eastern seaboard, later expanding westward when the nation began to move uh, west. That's George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards. Now, I... Uh, Zinzendorf. I mean, I looked up these guys. I read them. I did this past week to re, uh, refresh myself and be sure I was doing what the Lord wanted me to do. But I, I ran across some of these few quotes that these guys had. Just incredible. You know, in their preaching notes and stuff. Uh, here's what Zinzendorf said. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. That's, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's a quote from Zinzendorf. <laughs> Come join us. <laughs> Now, was that not him or what? Yeah, that's good. Preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. <laughs> Only atheists attempt to comprehend God with their mind. Wow. That is such an... Really I mean, that's so convicting to me to read that. Yeah. I'm like, oh God, that's how I still do it. <laughs> Only atheists attempt to comprehend God with their mind. Isn't that incredible? Uh, John Bunyan, you have not lived today until you have done something for someone who can never repay you. Isn't that good? He also said, in prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh, I'm like, after I went through some of these quotes, I mean, 
I'm not kidding. I'm, I was just at tears of just the, the wisdom and the revelation. Whitfield, Lord, help me to begin to begin. <laughs> if you are going to walk with Jesus Christ, you are going to be opposed. In our days, to be a true Christian is really to become a scandal. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's prophetic. <laughs> is that prophetic? I mean, is that now what? I mean, we that just throws cold water on the fire of trying to be palatable, does it not? Now, see what old Jonathan says. You contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin you made it necessary. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, do these guys have it down? <laughs> you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. <laughs> wow. Wow. Makes me love Jesus more. Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. <laughs> these are some of these quotes that... Now, these are just quotes. You should read their sermons. You can't make it through them. How in the world you could sit through them, I don't know. <laughs> now, here's some other missionary names. This is going on in more of the 1800s. You got John Wesley. Uh, Wesley was an English cleric, theologian, evangelist who founded the Methodist movement in the Church of England. It's John Wesley. Now, you see here the Methodist movement in the Church of England. So, you, we've got this term coming up now Church of England. Uh, something just happened on TV yesterday that mentions the Church of England. And the uh, Church of England, you've got a Catholic, you've got Orthodox, and you've got Protestant. I'm going to hit that just in a moment here. And uh, how the, the Church of England is actually, it's not Catholic or Orthodox, it actually comes out of the Protestant movement. So Church of England is Anglican. Is Anglican, so that would more the Protestant arm. And then you just saw King Charles being... Uh, I just about couldn't sit through the, the coordination, just to be honest with you. It just, it just, it, it bothered me bad. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, a pastor, but also a great evangelist, was an uh, English uh, particular Baptist preacher. Spurgeon remains highly influential among Christians of various denominations, among whom he is known as the Prince of uh, Preachers, and that was Charles Spurgeon. Charles Finney uh, here uh, in this country and D.L. Moody. And uh, all of these were foreshadowed by this church of Philadelphia, which came alive in spite of the death that characterized many other churches. So why did they grow? They had the message of the Philadelphia church, uh, which, the, which the Lord um, gave favor and it was obvious that these guys had tremendous favor. You want to see what uh, John Wesley said? It's just for fun. Do all the good you can by all the means you can and in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can as long as you ever can. <laughs> I'd say he was a busy man, and we know he was, John Wesley. Oh, yeah, catch the fire and people will come for miles to see you burn. <laughs> hey, man, I mean, is that a, I mean, I just can't, would that not make a T-shirt? Uh, here we got Spurgeon. Anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but only empties today of its strength. Is that so good? Is that amazing? Do you really get that? Wow, that is powerful. 
by perseverance the snail reached the ark. <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> Listen, these guys have got books full of these things. My <laughs> perseverance the snail reached the ark. Anybody see that? Get that message. Uh, here's Fanny. It was very common to find Christians whenever they met in any place, instead of engaging in conversation, to fall on their knees in prayer. He was saying, Fanny, of course, you know Fanny, I mean, my land. He's all over the place. But his, his, he was the man of prayer. So it, I guess it means if you get a group of Christians together, they're not praying, he's disappointed. There's <laughs> a way I'd have to interpret that. Here's Moody. Faith makes all things possible. The Bible will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from the Bible. <laughs> if I take care of my character, my reputation will take care of, of me. Yeah, of me. Isn't that good? If I take care of my character, my reputation will take care of me. Amen. Okay, I've had a, that's enough fun with that. I just uh, I went on. I, I lost half a day over all them. I just kept reading and reading. And I, I'm going to use that one. No, I'm going to use this one. No, I think I'm going to use that one. And it did just it just. Uh, I want to hit John Wesley here just a little bit to give us a good idea. How how do we know the Church of Philadelphia had the favor of God, the outpouring of God? Uh, John Wesley never intended to form a church separate from the Anglican, uh, from the Anglican Church. The separation occurred as a result of his uh, personally ordaining preachers destined for America after the Revolutionary War. Ordination is separation. During his ministry, John Wesley rode over 250,000 miles on horseback, a distance equal to 10 times around the globe at the equator. He preached over 40,000 sermons, they predicted, Charles Wesley wrote over 6,500 hymns. Many of those hymns are still in hymnals the world over today. Now, would you say he had the favor of God, the revelations of God? Did he hear mystery or what? John Wesley preached in the open air to audience estimated in the tens of thousands after Anglican pulpits were closed to him. Sometimes he began preaching at daybreak or even before daybreak, and regularly he preached uh, three times a day. Well, you about have to to get that 40,000 in there, right? So, 30 minute sermons. There wasn't no 30 minutes. There were like two hours or more sermons. And then I looked at some of that and I'm like, you couldn't read them in two hours. It's just amazing. So, but that was Wesley. So, the Philadelphia church, which you got to understand, we are still, even though the next church is Laodicea, the Philadelphia church is from now until the end. We are still got this favor right now. I mean, Billy Grant had that favor, Reinhard Bonnke, and there's uh, probably some of the greatest ones are names you haven't ever heard. But we're under this right now, the church of We still have this revelation of this anointing of the Philadelphia church. We, we, need, we look around us in the United States and the earth and everything's getting uh, worse and worse and worse and bad and all that. But we've got to understand that by faith that we still have this anointing, this favor. And the only thing standing between us and success with the gospel is that the enemy convinces us that we do not have the goods. Amen. And he's constantly trying to do that. Now, let's move on quickly. Now, there's three Christian churches of the world, basically, 
we're looking at the Church of Philadelphia. I wanted to hit this part right quickly. Uh, the Catholic is the Church of the Roman Empire. Y'all know the numbers, 313 uh, Constantine followed, uh, uh, they follow a pope. Now what happened here, did Constantine start the Catholic Church? The answer is probably no, he didn't start it. What happened was uh, the Christianity through the Catholic Church was so taken over Rome that Constantine knew uh, that it was an advantage for him to call uh, that Catholic Church the Church as um, the church or the faith of the country of Rome. So that's what he did with Constantine. He had a dream about a cross and all this stuff. But that's what, so you got the Roman Empire, and but you had the Catholic Church. Now, as Protestants, we tend to have a problem with the Catholic Church, and I understand that. I do too. But I can't deny that God didn't use to preserve His Word with the Catholic Church for 1,500 years. And we got to do something with that. He just did. He didn't. He didn't choose a, a, a non-denominational church to preserve his word. Uh, we're still in non-denominational churches. We're probably still taking serious that we're Protestants. But anyway, so you'll get that in a little bit. So with with the Catholic with the Roman Catholic uh, Church, all right, we had this church established. I call them the Catholic Church. Church. I believe, still believe that they are. Do I think they've got many problems? Yes. You wait till, till new life's around for 1,500 years. <laughs> and we'll take a look at us then. So, uh, now I, I don't embrace a lot of it, I'll be honest with you, the, uh, the Catholic Church. But still, I have to say what's true. God preserved His Word through it. Uh, for 1500 years and then and then man uh, but then you got man right you got man uh, who makes a mess now of course catholic i've been over that terminology in past teachings about uh, how that word came about so now the roman empire split in 395 so here you got constantine just made the the Christian faith, the faith of Rome, in 395, and you got a, uh, the empire split. I mean, it was huge. I mean, it covered so much territory. I don't know how in the world they kept what they had going after the split. So you had Western Roman Empire. It's called the number one. Uh, it remained in Rome, and then it fell in 476. So you had a split in 395, and I'll show you the split here in just a minute. So Rome split. You had an east and a west. Rome, East Rome and West Rome. And so they, they had a split. The West Rome fell in 476. The East Rome kept going on for another thousand years. You see. Uh, it was then called the Byzantine Empire. But that's East Rome. East Roman. You can see the word Byzantine uh, it's speaking about uh, Rome or there. So Eastern Roman Empire, the capital was Constantinople. It's called the Byzantine Empire. It's called the Second Rome. So when you're looking at historical studies and things, you'll see, you might just see the term First Rome. Well, you know, it's talking about Western uh, Rome, and that would be after the split. And then you might see uh, a term, some in theological books even, and also in 
just different writings, you might see the second Rome. Well, it's talking about the Byzantine Empire that actually went on for another thousand years. So you got west, 476, east after the split, east, it lasted another thousand years. And they said to me, that's just remarkable. But when you start seeing the Byzantine uh, Empire, how it worked and all, it makes a little bit more sense. But it's called the second Rome. Now, I want you to see something. The leader of the church was called the Patriarch, appointed by the emperor. Russia calls itself the third Rome. Putin calls himself the third Rome. Interesting to me. Is that not interesting? Now, what, what is the big church in Russia? Orthodox. Interesting. First Rome is Catholic. Second Rome, East, is Orthodox. Hmm, interesting. Putin calls himself the Third Rome. Now, was, was Russia... In the Byzantine Empire, no. Was they right up to it? Yes. But were they influenced or actually created out of Eastern, out of uh, the Byzantine Empire? That's the ones that made basically Russia who they are today, but under the influence of Orthodox Church. But Orthodox Church came out of the Byzantine Empire on into Russia. Does that make sense? Now, can I watch this? The leader of the church was called the patriarch, appointed by the emperor. So in, 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 um, in Eastern Roman Empire, with orthodoxy, orthodox, the orthodox church was not a Catholic church, but it was just about like a Catholic church, except they didn't do popes. There's other differential. There are the differences, but not, not a whole lot. The big deal was they didn't have a pope, but they had a patriarch. Okay? Eastern Rome had a patriarch. West had a pope. But the patriarch was picked by the, by the emperor. The Byzantine emperor? Uh-huh. Uh, the Byzantine emperor is the one who would always pick the patriarch. And that's where the first inklings of separation of church and state was. Now, I'm going to go a little further. So then you got Russia calls itself their own. Orthodox split from the Catholic Church in 1054. So here you got 476, you got all of a sudden, Western Rome falls. Then you've got Eastern Orthodox, uh, Eastern Rome, running together with Catholic, and then they split. Now, you've got to understand, when Rome fell, it doesn't mean that the Catholic Church felt in Western Rome. Catholic Church kept, it was, matter of fact, it flourished, okay, under the, Han, the Huns or Hans or whoever that came, the barbarians that came in and uh, took over. Uh, it, it, step, it kept carrying on, and that matter of fact, it expanded a lot. But now the Orthodox finally split off from the Catholic Church in 1054. I don't know if I've got a... I maybe have a... a well, let me hold that thought, because I think i got a map here. The uh, Protestants were in 1519 split from the Catholic Church. Anglican was uh, uh, the Church of England. So... Protestant movement, Martin Luther finally broke off a Catholic in 15. 
Eastern Rome broke off and into what's called Orthodox. They didn't have a pope, but they had a patriarch. From And Western Rome fell in 476 uh, as far as the nation. So, now keep that in mind. And you got the Protestants. Now, I want you to see all this in the Church of Philadelphia, believe it or not. You know, let's move on. Former emperors of the East believed themselves to be equal to the Twelve Apostles. So therefore they had the power to appoint the patriarch over the church. The equivalent of the Pope in Rome was the patriarch of Constantinople. The state or emperor was running the church. This was a problem. So in Western Rome you still had uh, separation somewhat even though the, 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 the king of Rome, they would well, if, did anybody watch coronation yesterday? No, did anybody read your Bible yesterday? Okay, just say. Uh, what if you watch that, you could understand more of even what I'm saying now, because King Charles has so much authority. I mean, he's seen basically as the head of the Anglican Church, which is the Orthodox Church. Now, I mean, it's I could I ain't got enough time going all of it, but anyway. Um, Putin is restoring the Orthodox Church back to its former glory. That's part of what Putin's doing right now, and it's for a reason. Now remember, the emperor always put in the patriarch. So Putin's in control of the Orthodox Church. But Putin also sees himself in Russia as being guardians of the Orthodox Church, believe it or not. They see themselves as guardians of the Orthodox Church. Uh, for a long time, Russia lived and developed under the political, social, and commercial influences of the Byzantine Empire. Like the Byzantine Emperor, the Russian sovereign of Kiev and later Moscow was the head and the protector of the Orthodox Church. And so uh, the story goes on and on. Uh, but we will pick up here again next week if you're interested in this. It'll, it'll give you revelation. It'll give you understanding of what's happening before your very eyes. Give you more understanding even with Russia, the Orthodox Church in Russia and with Putin uh, and the influences that they have. How did they get there? What's this got to do with anything? What does it have to do with... Uh, and let me show you this one slide, and I'll end with this one for today. Why did the church split? You see Catholic Church on the left there. Then you see a little white squiggly line. Catholic Church blue. Uh, Orthodox Church there uh, being purple. Then you got a white line in the middle. You see that? All of that was the Roman Empire. But that division shows you the difference in the West and the East. Uh, west being left, east being right. Now, do you see down at the bottom of something looks a little bit not, not they, say, they call it they say it looks like a shoe, but it does maybe. You see that little portion down there at the end of you know, Rome's right there where the cross is. Uh, then you go down below Rome and you'll see another little white line and a little purple thing there. It looks a little bit like a shoe. All right. What happened is the division or the great Schism, they call it, of 10, whenever it was, 46 or whatever I said it was. That great schism happened right there at that little white line. And what happened was the Orthodox K 
came into Catholic, they were, they were, it's not that they came into the territory, it wasn't split yet, but that they came in, the soldiers, which were Orthodox against soldiers that were Catholic, so to speak. They hadn't made the division yet. But anyway, these leaders from the eastern uh, Rome came into the western Rome, and when they kind of got into that territory, they fell out over communion bread. One believed in unleavened bread, and the other believed in leavened bread. The great schism. That's it. That's what it was. They felt one used unleavened, which is flat. Our bread's flat, just so you'll know. Don't fall out with us here. Or if you get leaven, it, it, it rises and, and is big. So when they got there, they went to these churches. They demanded that the churches uh, change uh, back to leaven, uh, to unleavened bread. And everybody, they closed the churches and they start fighting. And, and that's called the Great Schism. And from unleavened and leavened bread came the Greek Orthodox on the right, which is the East which is another whole thing. If you're interested, I'll pick up uh, here uh, next week. And as you take your communion today, just understand you have flat bread. So everything should be cool. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for today. Thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak your word to your people. Lord, I pray that these people will judge what I say, test it, to see that it's true, like a good Berean in your Bible. So, Lord Jesus, bless us this day. Let our hearts be with you. Let our hearts engage in worship of the Creator of the universe. Give us the faith that we need to open the door unto the kingdom of God. Give us the faith and let us exercise it, O God, that we might see many mighty works in this place. Dear God, we know that you're not going to send the works until we have the faith, that we've got to have the faith and we'll see the works. So give us more faith as our prayer that we might have the faith, oh God, just to move a mountain, just faith of a mustard seed, that mountains might be moved in this place today and those watching online, that your kingdom might be realized, your grace might be enjoyed, and that we might walk in the power of the gospel of the kingdom of God. And this house said, amen and amen. Thank you.